She said, help us to bear more fruit and win more souls. And that's, that's right what I want to talk about. So appreciate you saying that. Um, so the song we just sang says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, right? I remember, uh, I think those were Brother Phil Doman's last words before he passed. And, um, you know, Jesus is, the song says, he'll lead us by the hand and take us to the promised land, right? And isn't that what we want to do? We want to help other people make it to heaven just like us, right? We want to get there ourselves, but we want to help others get there. So tonight I'd like to talk about the subject of witnessing. And I'm going to start right off the bat and tell you I'm not an expert. And uh, I probably am not very good at it, but hopefully I can share some thoughts with you that maybe will encourage you. Um, I was thinking mostly about some of the younger people in the congregation, and maybe some of you have not had an opportunity where you've really witnessed to somebody that you don't know about the Lord, and maybe some of these things will be helpful to you. And as we're going forward with these home fellowships, one of the goals, obviously, is to bring in souls, to lead souls to Christ, to, to encourage people to attend our home fellowship, and maybe ultimately to attend church here. But the big picture, of course, is that they would get saved, that they would turn to Jesus Christ and be transformed, right? And this is, this is something that not only is uh, something we should do, but, but I believe that the Lord really is, is wanting to put the focus on us that we need to be witnesses. We need to be witnesses for Him. It's not a new message, right? It's, it's, uh, it's something we... We should be doing anyway, but I think more than ever, the Lord is trying to, to get us to, come on, come on, you can do this, win some souls. So I'm going to start with a couple quotes. This is from Paul, I think his name is Paul Chapel or Chapel, I'm not sure how you say it, but he says, God desires for you to be involved in drawing people to his word through a dedicated life to him and an active witness for him. And I have a couple more quotes. They were, it was hard to narrow it down to one, so I liked all of these. D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, the evangelist of the 19th century, said, I do not know anything that would wake up Chicago. I'm going to insert the word Syracuse there. I do not know anything that would wake up Chicago better than for every man and woman here who loves Jesus to begin to talk about him to their friends and just to tell them what he has done for you. You have got a circle of friends. Go and tell them of him. That's what we should do, right? We, should, we, have, we also have a circle of people that we see at the workplace and maybe people that we know outside of church. And we should go and tell them about Jesus and what he's done for us. Amen? And then David Jeremiah said, If we understand what lies ahead for those who do not know Christ there will be a sense of urgency in our witness. You know, witnessing is not just a nice thing to do. It's not just, um, it's not just a good suggestion. Souls every day are perishing. And we need to have a sense of urgency because hell is real. Hell is real and people who don't know the Lord are ending up there every day. And our job is to Rescue them from the fire as best we can with the help of the Lord, right? And there's an urgency there. 
And, and Lord, help us to see that urgency. You know, we could go to Matthew 28 real quick. Jesus gives us the, uh, the Great Commission. Let's turn to Matthew 28. Let's go to verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And we can look at Mark. Let's look at Mark real quick. Very similar very similar words from our Lord. Let's go to Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they, sh- they will cast out demons And they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So it's clear that the Lord is saying, I want you to go forward. I want you to witness. As Brother Brian's been saying, that we should carry on the work of Jesus. In a sense, almost be like a little Jesus, as Brother Brian has been saying. We want to go forward and do the works that Jesus did by His help. You know, laying hands on the sick, preaching the Gospel, encouraging people to come into the Kingdom. This is, this is our call, right? And this is what we're going to need to do for these home fellowships. It's kind of amazing when you think about it that you know, the Lord really doesn't necessarily need us. He could, he could very easily reach the entire world with His own power and His own strength. But he's deemed it wise to give us a part in this process of trying to win souls to him. And what an amazing responsibility that is, to give us a part in the picture to try to lead others to himself. He, in fact, he insists that we have a hand in, in this endeavor of soul winning. It's both a privilege and it's a, a duty of ours to do so. So, I guess I would say then, Why is winning souls so difficult? Well, God has first of all given us power to choose Him or not to choose Him, right? And so you're dealing with people's will. People may not necessarily want to choose God. They've they've been given that, that choice by the Lord Himself. And people come with different heart conditions, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So this is, I think the idea of a heart condition is kind of best explained in the parable of the sower. Are you all familiar with the parable of the sower? I imagine all of you are, right? Let's, um, let's take a look at that. The parable describes four types of heart conditions that a person might have. And the more that you witness to people, you'll start to recognize each one of those types of heart conditions. So let's go to uh, Mark chapter 4. I'm actually going to read part of this out of the Gospel of Mark and part of it out of the Gospel of Luke because there's certain details that I think are good to focus on. So Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 3. 
This is Jesus speaking. He says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, thankfully, Jesus gives us the meaning of this parable, so we're not left to actually figure out what he's talking about here. But we know he's talking about, he's using an analogy of a farmer, a sower, who's sowing seed. And I, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm picturing a person kind of going like this, throwing out the seed, right? That's what the farmer does. He sows the seed. And so Jesus gives us the meaning of this parable. Let's look at Luke 8, 11. Luke 8, verse 11. Jesus says, now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. So we could stop there for a minute. We know that He's not talking about just planting regular seeds. He's giving an analogy that you're the person who's the farmer and you're throwing out the Word of God to the people. You're throwing the Word of God out there. right? He says the seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear Then the devil comes and takes away the word and out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity." But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So again, he's talking about four types of heart conditions here. And he tells us, you're the sower, you're the farmer. The seed that you're sowing is God's word. And these are the heart conditions you're going to encounter when you throw the word of God out to, to people. So the first one, the first heart condition... It says, the seed fell by the wayside and the devil steals it. This is when the Word of God bounces off a person. It doesn't even phase them. They don't want to hear it. They immediately reject it. This is a hard heart. Have you ever encountered somebody where you witness to them and it's like the Word of God just bounces, doesn't even, doesn't even get through, Right? And these people are usually characterized by saying the following, I'm good, I'm good, thank you, I'm good. Or they say, that's good for you, right? The Word of God doesn't even phase those people. That's the first heart condition. Now, interestingly enough, even people growing up in the church can have that heart condition. You might be somebody who grew up in church and be like, yeah, I know the Word of God. Thank you. Yep, I've heard it. Yep, yep, I've heard that before. We want the Word of God to penetrate our hearts, even as believers, right? We don't want to be hard-hearted. 
The second heart condition is the seed on the stony ground. Jesus says, it immediately springs up, but has no depth. These people like what you're saying initially. They like how the gospel's encouraging. They like how Jesus loves us. They like the good feelings about the Word of God. And they might even come to church periodically for a little while. Right? So this is the person you witness to and they, they say, oh yeah, I, I like what you're telling me. I like this Jesus stuff. I, I, yeah, that's good. Jesus loves me. That's good stuff. Yeah, I want to come out to your church. And they come out for a while. Matthew 13, 21 says, they endure for a bit, but they quickly fall away when tribulation or persecution arises. One minute they're glad to hear God's Word from you, and then the next minute they no longer want to hear about Jesus. Something maybe offended them and they no longer want to come around. That's the second heart condition. Have you seen that before? You're saying, I don't know what happened. I was talking to so-and-so and they really seemed like they were receiving what I was saying and they were excited and all of a sudden now I, I've been trying to contact them and they, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it anymore. They don't want to come to church anymore. Have you, heard, have you ever had that happen? That's the second heart condition that Jesus is talking about. And we have to be careful in our own congregation, right? We don't want to be that person who only likes the Word of God when it feels good. Only likes the message of Jesus when it's about love. And anytime there's some tribulation or persecution, we immediately take a, pow- a powder. We don't want to be that person. Here's the third heart, con- heart condition. The seed that falls among the thorns. This is the heart that has no room for the Word of God. Luke 8.14 says they're too preoccupied by worldly cares, obtaining wealth and pleasures of life. They want a little bit of Jesus, but they really don't want to fully commit. They can't trust God because they're so burdened by the cares and concerns of the world. There's no room for growth because their heart's already full with other things. And Jesus says these people never come to maturity. And again, we don't want to be that type of heart condition where we're sort of committed to Jesus, but we say, well, you know, there's a lot going on right now. I'm thinking about this, and I've got to worry about my future, and I've got to, you know, I, want to, I have all these things I want to accomplish. And we have to be careful that those things don't take up so much room in our heart that there's no more room for the Word of God. Amen? So... The fourth condition, praise the Lord. That's the the heart condition that we both want to be and it's the condition we're looking for in other people. The fourth heart condition is the good ground, right? Amen? So there is a heart condition out there that will receive God's Word. These are the people we're looking for. We want the Lord to put these people in our pathway. These are the people who hear the Word and they're deeply convicted by what they're hearing. And they work hard through perseverance and they strive to please the Lord and to obey the Word. Their hearts are humble and they can take correction from Jesus. Jesus says they bear fruit with patience. They keep working at it, working out their own salvation. These are the ones who are truly transformed by the Word of God. And the Lord helps them grow and mature and become useful to Him. Those are the people we want to be and those are the people... We want the Lord to put in our path to lead to Christ. Amen? We want the good soil. So, there's some right and wrong ways to maybe approach how to witness to people, and I thought I would 
I was looking at the Word of God to try to get some idea about that. First of all, being an effective witness takes the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? But it does also require on our part a little bit of skill, a little bit of savvy, maybe some wisdom, and knowing how to answer people. Just as you try to improve being a better witness for the Lord, there are people out there who make it their business to hone their skills to try to tell you why they don't believe in the Lord. And they work at it hard of trying to convince Christians why they're stupid and foolish to believe in Jesus. So we have our work cut out for us. They work hard at trying to make Christians angry, dejected, and even doubting their own, their own uh, beliefs. So in view of these things, here's some things maybe we should avoid when we're witnessing. Is there a wrong way to witness, brother? Yeah. Yep, there is. I'm not exactly sure entirely what the right way is. As long as the Lord is in it, that's the right way. But I do know from personal experience there's a lot of wrong ways. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.23. Still with me, saints? Okay. Like I say, hopefully this will be helpful if, you, if you're not experienced with talking to people about Jesus. Maybe some of these things will be help, a help to you. 2 Timothy 2.23. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. This is out of the NIV. Because you know they produce quarrels. So Paul says, Don't get involved with stupid and foolish arguments when you're with people, Timothy. And I think that's good advice for us. A big trap Christians often fall into when they're witnessing is they allow themselves to engage in foolish and stupid questions and arguments. Unbelievers love to argue about stupid things that are of no value. And I think I've heard just about all of them, and maybe some of you as well. Uh, You know, I used to go downtown with Brother Dan Pluak and some of the other brothers. And Brother Dan, we've heard quite a bit, haven't we? We've heard a lot of foolish stuff out there. Let me give you some examples of some of the things I've heard. Did Adam have a belly button? I'm not kidding. It's kind of foolish, isn't it? People ask that question. Did Adam have a belly button? Yeah, of course he did. I mean, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? That has nothing to do with anything. Some people have said, Noah's Ark is a fable because dinosaurs couldn't get on the ark. Well, what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with you and your heavenly Father? You know? How about this one? What color was Jesus' skin while He was on the earth? Well, I always tell people, you know, I don't know what Jesus looked like when He was on the earth, but you want to know what He looks like now? The Bible says His eyes are like fire and His countenance shines brighter than the sun and the voice, the words out of His mouth are like the sound of rushing waters and people fall down at His feet when they see Him. That's what He looks like now. Who cares what He looked like when He was, had an earthly body? How about this one? Right in time for Christmas. You know, Jesus was not really born on December 25th. What does that have to do with you going to heaven? Or going to hell? Nothing. It's a useless argument. We have to avoid these entrapments. How about this one? This is my favorite. You know, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yeah? Neither is the word Thursday, elephants, and bananas. 
You know, this is not Webster's Dictionary here, folks. Amen? It's kind of a silly and useless argument. This is the one I used with my cousin when he was trying to witness to me. What about the pygmies in Africa? Never was I concerned about pygmies in Africa until somebody started sharing the gospel with me. All of a sudden, it became my complete focus in life. What about those pygmies? Don't worry about me. I'm okay. But what about those people over there? Right? It's a, it's, it's a deflection. I've heard this one. You know, if Jesus was on the earth today, he would be a liberal or he'd be a Republican. You know what Jesus would actually be if he was on the earth today? He'd be Jesus. Amen? There'd be no change. He'd be exactly who he is. Right? These are foolish and stupid arguments. And they're designed to produce quarreling. We have to avoid getting wrapped up in such questions and discussions and avoid discussing things like politics. And none of that has to do with the gospel. It takes the focus off the individual and their accountability. So one of the things that we need to do is when you're witnessing, we need to put the focus on the individual and on their sin and on their need for Jesus Christ. And when they start to use these silly things to deflect, we have to bring it back onto them and talk about, listen, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about where are you headed when you die? Are you going to make it to heaven? Are you going to end up in hell? Keep the focus on them. Amen? For, let's go to Titus uh, 3.9. Titus 3.9 says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these things are unprofitable and useless. When you witness, don't let unbelievers control the flow of the discussion. Don't argue about Jewish Old Testament customs. You know, I've had people say, you know, a lot of things the unbelievers like to say is they say silly things like, do you believe in the Bible? And of course you say, well, yes, uh, yes, I'm a Christian. Of course I believe in the Bible. And they say, well, do you believe in the whole Bible? Yes, of course I believe in the whole Bible. And they say, so you don't eat pork, right? And you celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday, right? And you go, well, no, I don't do those things. And they go, ah, see, but you just said you believe in the whole Bible. See, they like to use these little things to, to wrangle about. And, and, and Titus, it says, speaking about things concerning the law, that they're unprofitable and useless. Let's look at an example of how Jesus dealt with this. I think of the example of the woman at the well. Because Jesus had to deal with this very issue. Let's go to... Um, oh dear, I forgot to write down the chapter here. Um, I think it's John. Oh dear. John 4? Thank you. John 4, verse 10. So, just to give you a background about this. Jesus is going through Samaria and he's, he's on a mission, if you will, to go through Samaria and he encounters this woman at a well who, not to get too much into her background, but she's there at an odd time of day and um, Jesus asks her for a drink of water and she's kind of startled that 
this Jewish person is talking to me. Jews and Samaritans, we don't, we don't talk to each other. We don't even like each other. How is it that you're talking to me? So they start talking about this idea of water. And Jesus asked her for a drink, right? So verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus begins to direct the conversation here in his own witness to her. And the woman immediately begins to change the conversation in her own way by talking about Jacob's well. She says in verse 11, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So Jesus just got done saying to her, If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water, eternal water. And she immediately is like, you know, wants to talk about Jacob's well and Jacob's descendants, and she's sort of changing the conversation. Jesus completely bypasses her comment and refocuses the message. Verse 13, he says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, he's bringing it back to what he wants to talk about, the the, the living water, right? The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So again, she's not quite focused on what he's saying. And she's now starting to talk about earthly matters when Jesus is talking about spiritual matters. So now Jesus addresses the sin in her life. Verse uh, 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And now he begins to address the issue in her life. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with, who you now have, is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Well, he points the finger on her sin. And what does she do? She deflects the conversation off of her sin and she wants to wrangle about beliefs, whose beliefs are correct. She says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's not even acknowledging he's trying to talk about her sin and she's like, well, you know, let, let's change the topic here for a minute. You know, I don't like the heat being on me. Uh, is it okay for us to worship here? You guys say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. What are we really supposed to do? So she's deflecting the conversation. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when we will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So Jesus controls the narrative. He's not swayed by her, her uh, remarks that are kind of changing the conversation. And that's a good example for us when people that we talk to want to deflect the conversation and talk about something over here that's not really relevant. We want to keep the focus back on what's important, salvation, 
repentance, the need for Jesus, right? Some people like to argue about evolution and science. I would, I would say to you, avoid those type of arguments. They're fruitless. 1 Timothy 6.20 says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Right? Even back then they were dealing with issues. And he, Paul says, avoid, avoid vain babblings about science falsely so-called. Well, evolution is a science falsely so-called, right? So Paul says to avoid it. So let's talk about are there some right ways to witness to the Lord, or for the Lord, some principles. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2.24. Turn there, please. Second Timothy 2.24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So Paul tells us, here's some right things you can do when you're witnessing. He says... Don't be quarrelsome. He says, be able to teach people. He says, gently instruct those who would sort of be an opponent or an adversary. Gently instruct them. Right? Those are some things we can practice when we're, when we're witnessing. It's not good to be argumentative. I've found that out the hard way, you might say. Sometimes it's better to just let the other person win the argument and just move on to somebody who really wants to hear about the Lord. Amen? I think this is good. This is a good verse for our home fellowships. Because in our home fellowships, right? Don't we have to be kind to everybody? Don't we have to be able to know how to teach people and not get resentful, it says? Don't we have to gent- gently instruct people who might have an opposing idea? Maybe, maybe a visitor comes in or something, or maybe it's somebody who's not quite, uh, they haven't been in the church very long and they still are holding on to some ideas, right? We have to gently instruct them and lead them, it says, to uh, you know, lead them in the hope that God will grant them repentance, right? So I think that's a good verse for our home fellowships to think about. Jesus wasn't argumentative with the woman at the well, was He, he was patient with her. He, he was in, gently instructing her. He was doing exactly what this verse says, wasn't he? It's a tall order, isn't it, to witness for the Lord and to do it well. So Lord, help us to fill, fulfill Your great commission. I remember when I first got saved. By the way, today is my spiritual birthday. I got saved 27 years ago today. Um, Brother Phil Dillman uh, led me to the Lord. Some of you remember him. And, um, you know, he was very patient with me, and I'm sure he needed a lot of patience because I was, I was that guy with all kinds of stupid questions and all kinds of stupid things to talk about. And, um, you know, he was very patient, very kind, very gentle in instructing me, and I'm, I, I thank the Lord for it because that's what won me over, you know? So you might say I was ripe for the picking when I got saved. 
And that brings me to another point. When you're witnessing, we want to look for ripe fruit. And if you don't know what I mean, let's think about it in the natural. If you go apple picking or whatever, whatever type of fruit, you look for the fruit that's ripe. That's the one that you want, the one that's ready to harvest, right? When you go to the apple tree and the, the apples aren't quite ready, you go, eh, that's not ready yet, no. And you move on to the tree and you go, oh, look at those apples. Those are ready to go. That's the ones you want. It's the same with people. Some people just aren't ready yet, right? We want to, you know, my mother-in-law used to say to me, Rich, when you witness, you want to go up to the tree and you put your hand out and it practically falls in your hand. Remember you used to say that, Ma? Put, you, you go up to the tree and the apple literally plunks in your hand. She goes, you don't want to kick the tree as hard as you can, hoping to shake a few apples out. That's not how you witness, right? That's not how you pick apples either, by the way. But that's not how you witness. If you've got to beat on somebody, come on, you need to get saved, and you're wrangling and you're arguing, and well, you're, you've already, you're already in the wrong track here. You want to be able to go up to that person that the Lord's already been dealing with. The Lord's already been talking to that person. The Lord's already been working on their heart. And you come along and you start to tell them about Jesus and it's like the apple that just goes bloop right in your hand. Right? Brother Brian's been saying, look for the needy. Look for the needy. Look for those needy people who the Lord's already talking to them. The Lord's already working on them. And we go and we give them the answer and they just want to fall right into God's hand. Isn't that what we're looking for? Amen? Lord, help us find those people, right? The ripe fruit. You know, in my younger days, sometimes uh, people would want to argue or wrangle, and I would sit there and continue on, and you finally realize, boy, I've wasted like 20 minutes here, and this is going nowhere. You know, Jesus tells us in Luke 9.5, He says, Whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus didn't waste His time arguing with people about salvation, did He? The Bible says that God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. You'll know... How, how do you know, brother, who's ripe fruit? How do you know who's ripe for the picking? You'll know by what comes out of their mouth the minute they start talking. The minute they start talking and you start hearing all kinds of words of pride and, you know, hard heart, that's not a ripe fruit. And, you know, you can only go so far before you say, okay, you know, have a nice day. I think we're done here. And you move on because there's other fruit out there that we need to look for that's ripe. But the person who's ripe, that's the person you start talking to them about the Lord and you're not, you're not even... Uh, you're not even through with whatever you want to say, and they're weeping and they're crying and they're, yes, I need Jesus. And, right? You could tell when somebody's humble and when they're brokenhearted. That's the ripe fruit we want. I remember one time, I don't know if this was necessarily the wise thing to do. I was young and foolish back then, and now I'm not young. But uh, I was downtown one time, and um, long story short, this particular individual had been drinking and I offered to give him a ride because he was about to miss his bus. And I said, look, what I'm telling you is so important. I'll give you a ride. I don't recommend you do that, but I was in my 20s, so I could handle myself a little better than maybe I could today. But 
But, um, or at least I thought I could. But I gave this guy a ride, and he started uh, asking me some questions. And I'm talking to him, and all of a sudden, I mean, I almost got in a car accident. I was telling him my testimony, and he starts shouting, and he's crying and sobbing. He starts shouting, he's real, he's real. I almost went off the road. I'm like, whoa, whoa. And I said, yeah, yeah, he's real. Do you want to get saved? And, you know, we prayed, and so you want, that's, you, that's the kind of heart you're looking for, somebody that's broken, right? Somebody that's humble. Let me move along here real quick. And by the way, you know, we have to be humble too when we witness, right? It's not just them. Unfortunately, I've been on the pride side maybe a little more often than I'd care to admit. Nothing turns people off more than if the person doing the witnessing has a holier-than-thou attitude and is prideful. Lord, teach me to be humble so that I can help people and I can humbly give Your Word so they can receive it. And Help me not to think of myself as better than anybody else or anything like that. We have to avoid that. So, our next point is we need God's Spirit to witness, right? That's really the, that's really the key of the matter is we need the Spirit of God. We need Him to equip us. We need Him to guide us. We need Him to give us the gifts, right? We need to have the gifts of discernment. We need to have faith. We need a word of knowledge. We need a word of wisdom. We need to be able to lay hands on the sick and they would recover. We need the working of miracles. We need all of the gifts. And we also need the Spirit of God to give us divine appointments. You ever have a divine appointment? You ever ask the Lord for a divine appointment and suddenly it it happens? I had to go down for work one time to New York City and um, I had to go down and of course after work everybody was like, hey, we're all going to the bar and we're going to do whatever. And I said, have a good time. And I went my way and I was by myself. So I took the Staten Island Ferry and I was like, Lord, you know, help me just to run into somebody that I could share the Gospel with. I'm on the Staten Island Ferry and I'm just kind of sitting there. And there's these high school kids maybe 10 feet away from me arguing about whether God is real or not. (laughs) They're arguing about whether God is real. And one person finally says, well, I guess we can't really know if God's real. And I piped up and I said, I can tell you the answer. And they kind of looked at me and I said, oh, he's real. Let me, can I tell you about it? Well, I think there were five or six kids and probably five of them were like, oh man, who's this old guy? You know, and they just left. But this one girl stayed and listened and I shared my testimony with her. And I believe that was a divine appointment from the Lord. You know, she was... She was humble. She received it. You know, she wasn't ready to pray, but that's okay. She received what I had to say. And she was respectful about it. So sometimes the Lord can give us a divine appointment, but we've got to ask Him, right? Got to ask. That brings up another point. Sometimes we ask the Lord for a divine appointment, and we all of a sudden get one. And you know what comes after that? Now you've got to be instant in season. Amen? Now you've got to be instant in season because you don't know when those divine appointments are going to come. So, you know, being instant in season, when God puts that, you know, you're praying, Lord, give me a divine appointment. And then it comes, and you're thinking, oh, I wasn't, wasn't expecting that to happen, whatever. No, no, you've got to be instant in season. Look for that opportunity to, 
to say, okay, you know what? Here's my divine appointment. I'm going to take that opportunity and try to share what I can with that individual. And just to reiterate our need, you know, in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us witness. So you might be saying, I just have trouble witnessing. I just have trouble talking to people. You know, it's kind of like a muscle. Those of you that work out and things like that, you know, you're, when you do something over and over and over again, that muscle gets stronger, right? And it becomes like repetition and the muscle automatically knows what to do because you've been working at it. And I think witnessing is kind of like that. If you're not used to doing it, yeah, it's not easy. But if you keep doing it, it's like a muscle that over time, and it just starts to get to that point where you say, it just becomes automatic. Yep, I need to witness to that person. Yep, I, okay, that might be a divine appointment. Yep, I want to tell that person about the gospel. Of course, we have to use wisdom. Amen. But, but repetition is good, right? And the Lord will back up our endeavor if we witness for Him. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how young you are, young people. It doesn't matter if you're a little child. The Lord can use you if you speak up for Him. He'll back you up. You may remember I told the story a little while ago about a little girl who was probably five or six years old. All she told me was, she said, am I going to see you in heaven? Pierced my heart. Pierced my heart. Little girl. The Lord can use the young children. Don't be afraid to speak up for Jesus. He wants to use you. And you know, we need the Holy Ghost. We need a divine appointment. We need to be instant in season, but we also need boldness. Right? We need boldness. And that's something that we should pray for when we go to witness. Because, you know, your nerves can get in the way. Your fear can get in the way. And you, you know, your brain starts saying, well, I don't want to start trouble. I'm on the job. I work with this person every day. I, don't, I just don't want to make waves. Have some boldness. Don't be afraid. The Lord will back you up. You know, the, the apostles prayed for boldness, didn't they? Let's look at that real quick. Acts 4.23. They weren't afraid to pray for boldness. We should pray for boldness. Acts 4.23 says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is therein. I'm sorry, and all that is in them with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. I'm sorry, I think some of my notes got cut off here. Let me, let me reread that. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. For truly against Your holy servant Jesus, whom You anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So I think I skipped a couple verses there, but I'm just reading you the important parts I wanted to focus on. Verse 28, To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on, your threat, on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant 
your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So I see here they prayed for boldness, and they also prayed that they would be able to have the ability to heal and to have signs and wonders. So I, I think that's, those are good things we can pray for when we're witnessing. Lord, give me boldness. Lord, give me the ability to lay hands on the sick. Lord, help me to have signs and wonders. Give me your gifts, Lord. You know, and this, this also, just another thing that I think is a good way to witness. Mention Jesus by name. It may sound simple to say that, but all too often, people talk about God. God. God loves you. God loves you. It's okay, but you, every now and then you'll get a smart aleck who will say, which God? There's like 30,000 gods out there. Which God loves me? Don't be afraid to talk about Jesus by name. Right? Jesus said in 10, Matthew 10.32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus wants us to mention his name. Confess his name. Tell, tell people about him. Tell, Jesus, tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's a good thing to talk about when you're witnessing. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Share your testimony. Even if it's small. Even if it's, if it's maybe in your eyes, not a whole lot of uh, importance to it. Share it anyway. The Lord will back you up. He'll use it. Talk about sin. Talk about people's need to be saved from their sin. Brother Bob used to always say, don't leave them condemned. Show them the way out. Give them the answer for the way out. So, you know, don't just point out their sin, but give them the hope that they can have freedom from that sin. They can be saved from that sin. Don't leave them in that state of condemnation. Right? That's what Brother Bob used to teach us. And by all means, preach about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Talk about that when you're witnessing. 1 Corinthians, I'll read this quickly. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 says, 1 through 5 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my spirit speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul says, I endeavor to know nothing except Jesus Christ crucified, right? I remember brother, I lived with brother Rocky for a little while before I was married, and you know, I was a new Christian, and uh, I remember people would, somebody gave me a chick track, and uh, this whole thing was just way out in left field. And I showed it to Brother Rocky, and I said, what do you think about this, Brother Rocky? It seems a little weird. And he said, Rich, just preach Christ. Just preach Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. Best advice I ever got. You know, that's all we got to do. We don't need to get into, is the Pope the Antichrist and, you know, all this other crazy stuff. You know, just preach Christ. Amen? Just talk about Him and what He's done. So let me just summarize real quick. 
We're the sowers. Our job is to sow the seed, the gospel. Don't be afraid of being rejected. Sow the seed anyway. Look for the good soil. Look for the ripe fruit. Pray for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for boldness to overcome fear. Be instant in season. Don't get caught up in useless arguments and politics and evolution debates. Stay focused on the message of salvation. Get people to think about their sin. Don't leave them condemned. Show them the way out. Preach Jesus by name. Witness about His death and resurrection. Share what He's done for you and how He's changed you. I think that sums it up. So, you know, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, Jesus did die for you on the cross. He took nails in His hands and His feet for you. He was thrust in His side for you. They put a crown of thorns on His head for you. He was whipped and scourged and beaten and spit upon and shamed for you. And He died. But He didn't stay dead. The Bible says that God raised Him on the third day. And because He's now raised, He's alive. And that same God, that same Spirit that raised Jesus can raise you up from your sin and from your deadness and He can make you quickened and alive and living for Christ. So, I'm going to dismiss the meeting, but if you want to come and pray and ask the Lord into your life, you're certainly welcome to do that and you're able to talk to any one of us. We'd love to tell you more about what the Lord's done for us. So, don't wait. Father God, thank You, Lord. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for showing us in Your Word, Lord, good things to know what to do and what not to do when we witness. Help us, Lord. We, we want to be good witnesses, Father. We want to win souls, Father God. Please add the increase to all of the home fellowships that we would be able to accomplish Your purpose and be able to lead souls to You, Lord, and that You would add the increase, O oh God, to our, ende- our endeavors and that You would grow the church, O oh God, and You would accomplish your, vis- your vision for Living Word Church, Lord God. Help us to whatever part we can play in it, Lord. Just give us all the tools we need and equip us and add the increase, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's it for tonight. You're all dismissed. I pray you have a good week.